turning to our Old Testament lesson this morning. It's Psalm 31, verses 9 through 16, which can be found on page 445 in our Pew Bibles, or 866 in the large print. Psalm 31, 9 through 16. We'll actually read the first part of the psalm next week, so we're doing a little out of order, but here we go. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and we thank you for the word you have given to us. And God, this morning we pray that you would give us ears to hear your word. You would give us minds to think on your word. And you would give us hearts that have been prepared to receive your word. God, that through endurance and the encouragement the scriptures provide, we would have hope for today and every day that follows. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 31, verses 9 through 16. A psalm of David. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish, and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction, and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors, and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. For I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Turning to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. As Paul writes to the church in Philippi. It's going to be found on page 951 in the Pew Bibles or 1824 in large print. It writes, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge 
that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever wondered why it is that good things happen to bad people? Maybe not as often as you've wondered the flip side. Why it is that bad things happen to good people. But, when we take a step back from both of those questions and we realize that there's only ever been one good person. And something really bad happened to him. It's only as we look at that and say, well, what is that about? Why did that happen? Can we even start to answer any of the rest of that? And so we're spending this time during Lent as we lead up to Easter looking at Jesus on the cross. And what does that mean uh, for us today? And we're actually looking at the words that he says from the cross, realizing that Jesus, the one person who should never have been on a cross if, uh, if things were just for him and him alone, one person should never have been on a cross ends up there. As he goes through uh, the excruciating pain of the cross, excruciating, by the way, is a word that we get from the cross. It's actually built into the word. When we think of excruciating pain, we're talking about cross-like pain. As he goes through this pain, and as he's hanging and lifting himself up for every breath, He has a few things that he says that are recorded for us in Scripture. And every one of those would have been difficult to say. And these are the things that are his last words, and we're going to take them uh, seriously. We have looked at a few of those already. We're not necessarily taking them in order. But we looked at when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then we looked at him saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Today, we are looking at um, some of the surrounding scene. As Jesus is on the cross, he's not the only one on the cross. There are actually three people on crosses right there and then. I read about uh, who they are and their, his interactions with them in Luke chapter 23. And we'll be looking at verses 39 to 43, uh, specifically. There's one of the criminals who hung there, hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. We have three people 
on crosses. Two of them deserved what they're getting. One didn't. And we've already looked at the reason why Jesus is on the cross, getting what he doesn't deserve, is because he's getting what we deserve. That he's hanging there in our place. And that no one, no one took his life, but he laid it down. That he gave himself for us. This is what we have seen. Of course, we have a bit of an advantage. We have a bit of time and space where we've also heard of the resurrection. And we have seen uh, the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church for the last 2,000 years. So we can look at this with some perspective. But what about the guys who are hanging on the cross, who are also in the same painful, excruciating situation, who are also having to struggle for every breath that they breathe, one of whom uses his breath, his dying breath, to mock Jesus. And the other, who uses his dying breaths to proclaim his faith and his trust in Jesus. Very different. Very different. I want to take a look at these, uh, at these two, but then mostly at Jesus' response. The criminals who are hanging here are likely uh, Jewish zealots, those who were uh, criminals not just because uh, they had committed some sort of petty crime, but because whatever their crime was, it was sort of rebellion against the state of Rome, which honestly is what Jesus had been convicted of as well as far as Rome was concerned. That's why he was getting the death penalty. He was a traitor to Rome. The uh, leaders, the religious leaders, said to Pilate, who could find nothing wrong, nothing. There's nothing here. There's no reason to put him on a cross. And the religious leaders say to Pilate, "If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar." Hint, hint. <laughs> we'll make sure he finds out that you're letting somebody who claims to be king go free. So this is where Jesus ends up on the cross, according to Rome, is because he also is a traitor to the crown, to the throne uh, of Caesar. This is why these guys are here. Now, if they, don't like, if they don't like Rome, if they don't like the authority over them of Rome, if they are wanting uh, the Jewish nation to be set free, then they're probably having these hopes of a Messiah, that God would send the one that he's promised to send to restore the kingdom to Israel they were hoping for. And so they would be looking. I don't know if these guys had seen Jesus before this day or not. I don't know. But they'd certainly been looking for someone who was going to be this Messiah. Somebody who was going to kick out the Romans. Now, with that understanding of what they were looking for, I'm sure they go to the cross. On their way there, they're joined by a failed Messiah. They were actually led out there with him. It says in verse 32, uh, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And one on his right, one on his left. So they're out there, they're walking the trail with him, carrying their crosses. 
He's too weak to even carry his own cross. He has to find somebody else to carry it for him. After he has been sleep-deprived and beaten repeatedly, flogged and beaten some more, and he's physically too weak to even carry his own cross. And so you can imagine, from the perspective of the first criminal who's looking for a Messiah and somebody who's going to overthrow the Romans, looking for that strong leader, and he sees Jesus, who can't even carry his own cross, and now is being crucified. Of course he doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Because power comes through power in the systems of our world. And this Jesus apparently didn't have any power. And so, he mocks him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. The word that's actually used here uh, in the Greek means that he was blaspheming. That he was saying blasphemous things, not just hurled insults, but insulting the very character and nature of God by saying this. How so? Let's look at the other guy. The other criminal, also, same situation, same background, same walking the road with Jesus, who had apparently no power, but who understood something very different by this. He understood there was something different going on. Now, at first, he may have been joining in with the mocking. We see this in Matthew and in Mark, that, um, that both the criminals are insulting him. But something changes in this guy. He sees something different, and I think what it may have been is what Luke had already recorded for us earlier when Jesus prays for the forgiveness of those who are putting him on the cross. I don't know for sure, but that may have been the moment because then he sees that this is not some failed Messiah, but this is a different kind of power. This is a power that is not exercised by power, but power that's exercised in weakness, by self-sacrifice, by giving yourself for those that you love, even when they are doing what they're doing to him. And it is in this case, now we have this criminal turning to the other criminal and saying, what are you talking about? We are hanging on these crosses because we have actually done things put us here. This guy hasn't done anything. All he's done has been to give himself for the good of others. That's what he's doing here. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I don't know if you hear that as a statement of faith, but it really is. If you think about what he's saying here, he's looking at a man who is dying, who has lost in the world's terms in his opposition to the Roman authorities. If that's what he were about, he has lost. He has a sign over him that says, the king of the Jews. And everybody looks at that and laughs. And this guy says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Do you hear that? He's looking at the man who is dying on the cross, and he says, I believe you still have a kingdom. I believe that you are the king. 
I believe that you're the one who can let me into your kingdom, and that's the kingdom I want to be a part of. This is, this is faith. And he's demonstrating that not only by saying these things, but by saying them in the situation where he is, surrounded by the people where he, nobody else is saying this. At this point, Jesus' own disciples are saying nothing. Earlier that night, when Peter had been confronted by people, are, are, were you with him? Are you one of his? Three times, Peter denies it and says, I don't even know the man. Nobody wants to be identified with this guy on the cross. Except one of the other guys on the cross. Who's <laughs> out there because it's public, and there are people who are mocking Jesus publicly, and this man says publicly, I'm with him. I'm with him. At this point, all that's going to get him from the rest of the world is more abuse. It's going to get him lumped in with that guy, and now he's going to start getting the insults they're getting. That's all he can get from a worldly perspective, but he understands something is different here. He understands there's something about Jesus where he really is a king who has a kingdom coming. And he says, and that is worth trading in everything else. And then Jesus' response. Then Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus takes one of his breaths, to respond personally to this one man. To let him know that that's all it takes. All he had to do was identify with Jesus. Now, this is one of the reasons why we baptize people. Is that that publicly marks somebody out as being identified not with the world, but with Jesus. I'm with him. I'm with the guy on the cross. The guy who forgives even his enemies. And Jesus lets him know that's all it takes. But also assures him in his final moments on that side of death that this isn't the end. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. Now this word paradise has a strange history. In our terminology today, we tend to use that word pretty freely. Paradise is used in commercial settings to mean to get what you want, to have all of your wants and desires met. And so if you can dream it up, you can have it. That's paradise, right? And that's what gets sold to us in a commercial way. That is not the way it had been used biblically. Biblically, paradise is not used very often. When it is, it's generally in connection with a garden. Specifically, the Garden of Eden in the beginning. And then we see it again in Revelation. In the letter to the church in Ephesus, it says... 
Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And so we see this imagery of the Garden of Eden back again, but restored, renewed. And the tree of life is there again. And what Jesus is saying to this thief on the cross is that in the middle of this hopeless situation where it doesn't look like there's anything past this, that there is a kingdom coming, that there is a paradise coming, and that the paradise includes this life forever. You've heard of John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is what this man is experiencing. The believing in him and then having eternal life. But I think we would, we would miss it again if all we looked at was saying, okay, so what I have to say are these certain things, do these certain things, and then I get life forever whatever paradise means to me. There are two little words here in English that uh, make all the difference. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, not today you will be in paradise, but today you will be with me in paradise. When we understand that that sign over Jesus' head is ironic because it's true, He is the king of the Jews. But more than that, that he's king of the universe. For the king to be saying, you'll be with me. Welcome in. We have a contrast. What Jesus tells about the, um, as many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and your name perform many miracles? Jesus says, and I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. In other words, it's not about all the things that are done for him. It's about the relationship with him. And if we have the relationship with him, and if we desire to be with him, that's when, like the thief on the cross, we say, I'm with him. And that's when Jesus looks back at us and says, you will be with me. And when we want to be with him and he says, you can be with me, that is paradise. And that is a paradise that is promised to us or with him (laughs) that goes on forever. And I believe this is where Jesus is able to say, today you'll be with me (laughs) in paradise. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.